Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. If you've got your Bible, would you turn to Luke chapter 17? And we'll read today 1 through 10. 1 through 10. So we started this sermon a few weeks ago. It was supposed to be a sermon, and it turned into three. I have a way with that, if you know me. Uh, but uh, today we're, we're concluding this sermon, and we're calling it Attitudes, Attitudes of a Disciple. Attitudes of a Disciple. So there were four attitudes that we've looked at. Um, the first attitude that we've seen in this passage is careful teaching. Careful teaching. That those who are teachers, especially Sunday school teachers and pastors and preachers, uh, are supposed to be careful in their teaching. Parents should be careful in what they teach their children because it matters. Because eternity hangs in the balance of our words and our teaching. And then we looked at forgiveness. That the attitude of a disciple, should they should have a forgiving attitude. A forgiving attitude. And that's easier said than done, isn't it? Don't we all want the forgiveness of the Lord, but it's much harder granting forgiveness to other people? Amen? Man, I find that to be so true. I'm, and I'm glad, honestly, I'm glad that the Lord is not as uh, stingy with His forgiveness as sometimes I tend to be with other people. And so He is so gracious and so kind and so merciful. The third thing that we learn the attitude of a disciple is faith, faith. And so the, the uh, disciples, they heard, you've got to be forgiving people. And they said, whoa, Lord, increase our faith. So they needed help to do what they couldn't do. And we learned last week that it's impossible to please God without faith. And we need faith. And we need faith for salvation. But we also need faith for daily life. We don't need a great amount of faith. We just need to be wise and steward the little bit of faith that we have well. And we talked about last week how God doesn't, uh, doesn't sprinkle faith down. So when we pray, God, increase our faith, God doesn't say, oh, I like that prayer. Let me put a little in your pocket. What does God do? He puts us into situations and circumstances where he says, I'm going to be with you in the middle of this storm. And on the other side of the storm, your faith will be bigger than it is right now. Have you ever been there? You prayed, Lord, increase my faith. And he said, OK, child, let's walk together. Let's walk together. And you walk through that storm of life. And man, it can be difficult. Man, it can be difficult. And so today we're looking at a servant's heart. A servant's heart. The fourth attitude of a disciple is a servant's heart. And I don't think there's a day more fitting 
to talk about a servant's heart than on Mother's Day. Outside of Jesus, I don't see many people that serve as much as mothers do. Moms out there, you guys are selfless. You serve so well. You give and you give of yourself and you don't expect anything in return. See, us men are a little different. Well, I'll speak for me. This man's a little different. I'm, I'm a little like a dog. Don't amen that. I need an occasional scratch on my ears and pat on my belly. But moms, you seem to do that so well without asking for something in return. Mamas, you give yourself to your family. You pour yourself out to your children. Mamas are up before their babies, meeting the needs throughout the day, working hard while they're at school, and only to get home and give more. Oftentimes, prepare dinner, and after the kiddos are in bed, if there's any time left, you're going to take those seven and a half minutes as time for yourself before you're on to more tasks to prepare for tomorrow. A mama's job is hard and sometimes thankless. And now, now you mamas who don't have babies in the home, guess what you're doing? You're still praying for your babies, aren't you? You never lose your babies, do you? You're still praying and you're still giving and you're still trying and you're still teaching and you're still encouraging your babies. Man, it's just funny how you do that. And so on this day, we celebrate you. We celebrate you mamas, you mothers here today. We celebrate you and we acknowledge the example of a servant's heart that you show to us and so thank you kiddos are there any kiddos in here corbett corbett hey hey you guys you kiddos i want you guys sometime today i see you holly i want you sometime today to look at your mama and to tell her that you love her and to tell her that you're thankful for and to give her the biggest smooch you can give her okay I want you to ask your homework when you go home. Corbett, can you do that for me? Okay, he said, yep. Okay, so now I want you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, if you will. Chapter 17, verse 1. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive. Verse 5, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. In other words, help us. That's hard. Verse 6, and the Lord said, if you had faith, Like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and plant in the sea, and it would obey you. Verse 7, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Verse 9, does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also... When you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants and we've only done what was your duty, what was our duty. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. Your word is a light or a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Your word is God breathed. Your word is our ultimate authority. 
Your word is truth. Psalm 119 says the sum of your word is truth. Your word is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. Your word is good for us. And this morning, I'm asking in the next few moments that you would take your word and you'd divide it. You'd, you'd break it open for us. That we'd feast on you. Father, that we might be challenged and that we might grow. That we might uh, see in our hearts the motivations that we have for what we do. And then we would see Jesus and the motivation that he has for what he did. And Father, we'd, be, we'd stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene. God, please, your word says in Psalm 119, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things in your law. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So this is why we do what we do here at Seneca Baptist. At Seneca Baptist, we preach through books. And sometimes that takes longer than expected and longer than we would sometimes hope. But what it does for us is it makes us talk about things that we wouldn't normally talk about. So if I can just be honest, this passage, especially the latter parts from verse uh, 8, excuse me, verse 7 down to 10, this passage would be one of those that if you were to ask me, would would I ever want to preach on that? The answer would be, well, not really. Doesn't seem like a very encouraging word. And so, but because I want to be faithful to God's word, we're walking through the book of Luke, and today we come to this. This is our task. And so we're going to check in on this passage. And so, verse 7 says, Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, Come at once and recline at the table? So, in the culture, the Jewish culture of the day, There were many who had servants. The servant is different than a slave as we think about it in our mind. A servant was often an indentured servant. Where there would be a debt and that servant would work off his debt. There would be uh, freedom uh, that would be granted to that servant when the debt was paid. Or in the year of Jubilee when all debts were released. And so there would be a servant and I owed Miss Marianne some money and she said, hey, I got a way you can work that off for me at my house. She says, you can cut down some trees or you can do this, that or the other. And I say, "Okay, that sounds like a great way to pay off my debt. And that is exactly what we see in this passage as the servant is an indentured servant. And he says, how many of you you've got a servant who's plowing or keeping sheep and when he comes in from the table you would say to that servant come in at once and I'll take care of you you sit down you put your feet up you've been working all day long come in and just sit back and let me take care of you when the Jewish reader would say well of course we wouldn't say that he works for me not the other way around amen somebody y'all following with me he works for me And he says, of course not. Verse 8, will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward, you will eat and drink. I want you to note something that in this passage, we are the servants and God is the master. We're the servants and God is the master. And so this is a parable or a story about our relationship with the father. Are you, does that make sense? And so I want you to see that as we walk through this, who we are and who the master of the house is. Verse 9 says, 
Does he thank the servant because he did what he or what was commanded? In the little margin of my Bible, I just wrote ouch right there. Ouch. Does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? Now, here's a, let me give an illustration for that. How many of you remember, you mamas and daddies out there, you remember when you were potty training your children? Potty training your children? I'm sorry for potty talk in church, okay? But uh, potty training your children. Now, in the Perry household, we used incentives, M&Ms. Yeah, that sounds like a good incentive, right? Um, and so our children, when, when they were growing up, they, if they sat on the potty for the first time, and, and they did their thing, they would get M&M's. And then once they got number one down, it was time for the other, right? And so we used a similar incentive for our children to teach them how to go potty. But there was a time and place where that incentive was cut off. How odd would it be if we husbands walked in and we said to our wife, Honey, I need some M&M's. And so, I want you to understand the point is sometimes we as Christians, we look to God and say, hey God, where's my pat on the back? And God says, you did what, you, what we, we commanded you to do. You did what I commanded you to do. That's a hard word for us to understand. A hard word that, that you, mean, you mean when I obey God... God's not throwing a party up in heaven and saying, Woohoo, that's my boy, like we did the first time our kids went poop on the potty? And the answer would be no. It doesn't seem that way. And, 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 and here's the point that Jesus is trying to get at. The point is not whether God praises us or rewards us. The point is, what is the motivation for our obedience and service to the Lord? Have you ever noticed the motivation by which somebody does something can either make the act of the doing more beautiful or far less beautiful? Are you out there? Sometimes it's the motivation of, of our hearts that taints the deeds that we do. It's, it's like when you were raising children. You said, hey, that was wrong. Now I want you to go and apologize to your brother. This has never happened in our house, by the way. And, and, and one of the children walks out and he says, I'm supposed to come say sorry, so sorry. Did he do what was commanded? But was the motivation right? I don't know if you've ever noticed in your own heart that sometimes if your heart's like my heart, sometimes I do the right thing with the wrong motivation behind it. I do the, the right deed with the motivation of getting a reward rather than the motivation of simply pleasing my master. Have you ever been there? And there's a big difference. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to point out in church, it reveals the root of our service. There is a difference between being or doing the acts of a servant and having a servant's heart. Have you ever done something that you didn't want to do and what, the whole time that you were doing it, you were stewing about what you were doing with a smile on your face? See, that's, 
an improper motivation. That person is doing the right deed with the wrong motive in the heart. And the motive in the heart makes the deed displeasing to the Father. And we can do that. We in church can sometimes serve the Lord with a smile on our face with a grumbling spirit or grumbling in our heart. We can sometimes do what we're supposed to do, but it's not because we're, we want to do it. Have you ever met that person that you knew they just had the servant's heart? They, their gift was serving. They just loved serving. How many of you, it was your mamas. Your mamas just were servant people. They gave and they gave and they did and they did and they never expected anything in return and they did it with joy in their heart and they did it with, with just this wonderful, beautiful spirit. On Facebook, I've watched many of your tributes to your mamas who might or might not be in heaven this week and just was in awe of how sweet some of your words were about your mamas and how they gave and gave and gave. And we've met some of those people. We've got a lot of those people in our church. Servant-hearted people. Not just servants, but it is their heart. It is the delight of their heart to serve their master in anything. Have you met that person in our church? I'm going to name a few. We've got some Sunday school teachers that have given their lives to serve God's church, and they do it faithfully, and they do it joyfully, and they're it is one of the greatest privileges that they have is simply to open God's Word every Sunday morning and teach. Have you ever met that person? Man, and they're giving themselves to serve in God's kingdom. We've got nursery workers. And I want to remember one today who made such a profound impact on me when I got to Seneca Baptist Church. Her name is Sue McClain. Miss Sue, are you in here right now? Miss Sue, when, when I first got to Seneca Baptist, she would sit in the nursery every Sunday morning. And guess what? No babies showed up. But Miss Sue sat in there, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she asked, and she begged that God would send babies to fill the room that she was occupying. Has God honored her prayer? She was a servant-hearted person. She sure was. Nursery workers. We've got a gentleman in our church that many of you have never seen on this stage. But he serves faithfully every week in our church. His name is Johnny Gillespie. Now, many of you might understand the workings of a church, but we have committees at our church, and one of the committees at our church is the Building and Grounds Committee. And you say, well, that sounds like a fun committee to be on, and Johnny will tell you it's a difficult one. Because in the middle of Johnny's term came this F3 tornado that came right over top of our church and caused about $800,000 worth of damage to our building. And guess who got to oversee all of that? Mr. Johnny Gillespie. And he gave, and he gave. I, I sometimes would ask uh, Mr. Johnny, I'd get here in the morning, 8, 8.30, he'd be there before I was. I'd say, which room did you sleep in today? Do you want me to move a bed here for you? But Mr. Johnny gave of himself. And he did so, and he never asked for a single reward. He never asked to be recognized. And so here's what I want you to do. Not because he's asked, but I'd encourage you, recognize him. 
when you see him. Doesn't our church look good? Much of that is from the due diligence of Johnny Gillespie and his committee, too. And so we have some great servants here at our church who have given themselves. I want you to note something. We're in the middle of a process right now by which we choose deacons. Deacons, the word deacon comes from the Greek word diakonia, which means servant. And so that idea of deacon in many Baptist churches means one who makes decisions. That's not in the scriptures. But our deacons here at Seneca Baptist Church are servants of their church. And here's how we choose deacons here at Seneca Baptist Church. We look around in our church and we say, who's serving? Who's giving? Who is giving their time and their talents to serve in God's kingdom, to build up God's church, to meet physical needs, to protect the unity of the church? Who's doing that? And guess what we do? We nominate those people who are already doing it. And so, just be on the lookout for people who are serving and giving themselves and are willing to make sacrifices for the good of God's church. And there are nomination forms out in the foyer, and there's a ballot box out in the foyer. That's how we choose deacons here. So, so let, me, let me come back for a second to the text. This is what it says, verse 10. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, and we have only done what was our duty. We've only done what was our duty. Remember, should the Lord, does, does he thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we're unworthy servants, we have only done what was our duty. I want us to look at this in two ways for just a second. Number one, I want us to look at it in the, the lens of salvation. The lens of salvation. I want you to understand that when we stand before the Lord, when we are judged in our life, when we stand for accountability before the Lord, let me ask you what the Lord is not going to say or not going to do. The Lord will maybe ask you a question of, why should I let you into heaven? And many of us would say, because I've been a good person. I've done good things. I've lived my life, all of my days, to please God. And I have stored up and stockpiled this, this pile of good works over here that I'm hoping will get me into heaven. But I want you to understand today that when in light of salvation, our good works and our service have no effect on getting into heaven. I want you to understand this morning that we do not get into heaven based on what we can do. We do not get into heaven based on our works. We cannot earn our way into heaven. We cannot work our way into heaven. We get into heaven by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Jesus did something for us on the cross, and we looked at it again this morning in our Sunday school class in Romans 8, that God did what the law couldn't do by sending His own Son, Jesus, in the flesh to do. So Jesus came and fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law by living a perfect life, dying a sinner's death, and then being raised on the third day for us. That if we would put our faith in Him, it's not our good works that will get us into heaven, but it is on the sole basis of Christ's finished work that gets us into heaven. 
And I just need you to understand that this morning as we're looking at what the scriptures say about our works and about our service, we don't serve so that we would get rewarded and get into heaven. We serve God because he has saved us from hell and because he has granted us entrance into heaven. We serve not for salvation, but we serve from salvation. Does that make sense? And there's a big difference. And that's a motivation sometimes that's in our heart. Am I serving to try to make God happy, to get on his good side? Do you remember when you were dating? You remember you're dating somebody and everything that you did, uh, every decision that you made from what am I going to wear to where are we going to go to dinner to, to what cologne or perfume am I going to put on? Everything we did was so that I might get on the good side of that person that I'm trying to impress. Are you with me? Remember those days? Some of you are going, i got to go a long way back to remember those days. That's not the way it works with the Father. Let me tell you, we don't get on the good side of God by what we do. We get on the good side of God by what Jesus did. It's by the work of Christ on the cross that puts me in good favor. So that every moment, because I've trusted in Jesus, every moment of my life I can be pleasing to Him, not because I'm always pleasing to Him, but because Jesus is always pleasing to Him. It says in Romans chapter 8 and in Hebrews chapter 7 that Jesus stands at the right hand of God the Father interceding for us day by day. That means every time I sin, Jesus is in heaven saying, God, remember my sacrificial death on the cross. I took his place, uh, I took his sin, and I gave him my righteousness. So when you look at that knuckle-headed boy, remember that he belongs to me. And that I've covered his sin with my righteousness and the Father can look at me and say, I'm pleased. Why? Because of the work of Jesus. And so I want you to understand that this frees us up in incredible ways to have a servant heart because I don't serve to try to get on good side. Or what if he doesn't like me? No, the Bible reveals very clearly that Jesus is crazy about you. And there's nothing you can do to ruin it. He loves you with an infinite love. God did not withhold His own Son from you. We looked in our, our time this morning in Sunday school that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So I don't work to get on to His good side. I am on his good side, and from that place of freedom, I work and I serve. So in light of salvation, works don't get us into heaven. Good deeds don't get us into heaven. Jesus' good work. Jesus' good deed of his death, his burial, and his resurrection get me into heaven. So then I want to talk for just a second about reward. So we're talking about salvation on one hand, let's look at this in light of salvation. Secondly, let's look at this, this in light of a heavenly reward. A heavenly reward. So some people look at Scripture and they say, well, I serve, and it's not so that I can earn salvation, but it's so that I can gain a reward in heaven. Have you ever heard that? 
And there are a lot of uh, scriptures that would point to the, the simple fact that there are rewards in heaven. There are rewards in heaven. Um, there are, uh, according to the scriptures, there are five crowns that believers will receive in heaven, and, and they're found in the New Testament. One would be the victor's crown, the crown of righteousness, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of life, and the crown of glory. In other words, there are crowns that God will give to His faithful ones, His ones who have placed their trust in Jesus alone, and that endure to the end. There will be crowns that are given to those saints in heaven. And man, that's a beautiful thought. But there are different views in Scripture. And I'm not exactly sure how they line up. Because there are a couple parables about... There's one parable in Matthew chapter 20. It's the laborers in the vineyard. And some laborers are called very early in the morning to go out into the vineyard, the master's vineyard, and work. And they work all day. And as the master is walking around in the town, he sees people who are sitting. And he says, why are you not working? Do you remember this? He says, why are you not working? And he says, well, come and work for me. You go out and I'll pay you fairly at the end of the day. And he calls some at the, the third hour of the day. And he calls some at the sixth hour of the day. And he calls some at the ninth hour of the day. And guess what? He calls some at the eleventh hour of the day. And he says, if you trust me, I'll pay you fairly. I'll pay you fairly. And at the end of the day, he started with the ones who were called to work last. And he says, here's your denarius. And a denarius was the equivalent to a day's wage. He says, here's your day's wage. And it was a full day's wage. Can you imagine working one hour of the day and getting a full day's wage and going, wow, that was generous. But can you imagine the guy who was called first thing in the morning? He's going, man, it's going to be a really good payday for me. He works his way toward the one who was called first thing in the morning. And he gets to the one who was called first thing in the morning. And what does he pay the one who was called first thing in the morning? A denarius. And he goes, this isn't fair. I've been working all day. And so there are some texts that seem to say that there are rewards that will be given in heaven. And there are various degrees of rewards. And then there are other texts that would say, that, that, that the reward is going to be a general reward. Now, I don't know which one. I'm trusting in Jesus. That, but here's the thing that I know. Whether there are varying levels of rewards or whether there is one great reward, here is the reward. The reward is not a crown. The reward is being in the presence of God forever. Okay? Because you know what we do with those crowns in Revelation chapter 4 and 5? It said they fall on their knees and they throw their crowns before the throne. The crowns are worthless in heaven compared to the majesty of being in the presence of God. There's something beautiful about the reward, the greatest reward that will put to shame every other reward. So are there going to be rewards? I don't know. But in the end, guess what? It's not going to matter. Because if I'm up in heaven, and all I can do is play with the rewards that I've gotten from serving on earth, I think I've missed the point. The point is there's not going to be any pain. There's not going to be any suffering. There's not going to be any injustice. Every wrong is going to be made right. 
I will be reunited with the saints of God. Though my family maybe that have gone before me. But all of those things will pale in comparison as I stand before the Lord and gaze upon His beauty. So Jesus says, I want you to serve me. I want you to have a servant's heart. And don't do it for the reward. I promise you I'll be good to you. I promise that I'll, I'll give you your due reward. And guess what? I, 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 don't think, I don't think we see that any better than we see it in Jesus. We don't see these attitudes any clearer than we do when we look at Jesus Christ. Jesus, He carefully taught us the way of God. He carefully taught us how to follow God and love God and love others. He was careful in His teaching. There is nobody who models forgiveness like Jesus forgave. Do you remember? The very ones crucifying Him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He models forgiveness. In fact, it was the very reason that He went to the cross was to grant forgiveness to everyone who would trust in Him. There's nobody, no place where we see forgiveness modeled like we do in Jesus. No place we see faith modeled like we do in Jesus. Jesus took God at His word, trusted in His promise, and was faithful to accomplish God's purpose for His life, even if it meant death and service. There's nobody who modeled service like Jesus modeled service. See, He understood His relationship to God and His divine purpose. So listen to what Philippians chapter 2 says. Philippians chapter 2 says, He set aside His glory and He took on the form of a man and he humbled himself even became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross and we see that one truth portrayed in John chapter 13 when Jesus at the last supper at the Passover meal he disrobes himself ties a towel around his waist and then begins to wash his disciples' feet in order around the table. And he washes them. And then he gets to Peter. He says, Peter, I'm going to wash your feet. And he says, you ain't washing my feet, Lord. If you're not clean, Jesus says, if you're not clean, you have no part with me. You have no share with me. And Peter says, well, I want to share with you. So don't just wash my feet, but wash my whole body. Jesus says, hey, if you're clean, if you've bathed, you're clean. In other words, if you've trusted in Jesus, you're clean. I just need to wash your feet. And he had this towel around his body. He took a basin of water signifying the blood that he would shed that would wash away the sins of the world. He had the towel around his waist and he used that towel to wipe off the filth on the feet of his own disciples. He took the filth of his disciples upon the towel that he was clothed in. Do you see it? He disrobed from His glory to come and take on the sins of the world so that we might be clean through Jesus. 
there is no clearer picture of service and a servant's heart than in our Savior who disrobed and washed His disciples' feet. Even the disciple that would betray Him. And He knew it. Oh, that we would have servants' hearts like our Master Jesus. Oh, that we would serve not for the reward or not for the acknowledgement, but simply to be a, a part of God's kingdom work. Oh, that, that Psalms would be true where it says, Search my heart, O God. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me. That God would search us and reveal those, those motivations hidden but way down deep where we just want to be seen and praised and acknowledged and that God would rid those from our lives and give us a servant's heart. So today, our challenge is out of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, let us look to Jesus, the author or founder of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us serve like Jesus served. Those are our attitudes today. Listen, there are a few ways to respond as we conclude. Number one is that there are some who might need to be saved. You're trusting in your works rather than trusting in what Jesus can do. And if that's where you are, it's, it's time to just say, hey, that's me, Ryan, and I know that I need a Savior. I'm tired of working my way into heaven or trying to work my way into heaven. I'm ready to start trusting. And if that's you, you can make that known today. But then there are some of us who just need to say, God, search me, know me, and give me a pure heart to serve you with. Would you stand with me? Would you pray with me? Would you bow your head? Would you close your eyes? Just for a moment. Father, we come into your presence. And we just, we bear our hearts before you. And God, we're asking that you out of your word would speak to us. And that you would show us who we are and why we serve and what we're hoping to achieve. Father, you would reveal to us if we're trying to earn our salvation or if we're trying to trust in God's finished salvation through Jesus. Would you teach us today? what it means to step from death to life, from fear to faith, and trust you. God, but I ask for all of us that you would renew in us a servant's heart, whereby we would give ourselves to you all the days of our life. Father, speak to each one of us and move in us right now. In Jesus' name, amen.